Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Welcome back to another episode on the Leanne Ward Nutrition Podcast. Today, we are chatting about Aunt Flo with our special guest who's returning to the podcast, Angelique Clark. Angie is an advanced sports dietitian, performance nutritionist, exercise physiologist, and active mum boss. Over the last 15 years, Angie has worked extensively with elite female fitness and figure athletes, as well as fitness centers and celebrities for transformational campaigns. She has a passion for understanding the difference in female physiology, honoring women's health, and cleaning up the fitness industry garbage to help active women uncomplicate nutrition for sustainable results. On today's episode, we break down the science of what happens during our period. We talk about why our weight goes up on the scale due to our hormones, why we feel hangry leading up to our cycle, and what to eat nutrition-wise. We also discuss periods and cravings, training for our cycles, specific nutrients needed during our cycles, and some helpful tips for PMS. Finally, we end with Angie's words of wisdom for all our female listeners. Ladies, this is one not to miss, so let's dive straight into it. Welcome back to the podcast, Angie. I'm so excited to have you and your expertise back on today. Oh, thank you so much, Leanne. As always, I so enjoy talking to your audience, so I'm excited about today. Oh, amazing. And for our listeners who may be new to the podcast, Ange was a special guest on um, some of our original potties, gosh, Ange, probably a year and a half, two years ago now. Crazy. Crazy. <laughs> yep. So you guys can go back and find them. I think they may be in sort of episodes, maybe six, seven, eight, some of the original ones in the back catalog. So go back and have a scroll through because Angie's wisdom is just as um, important back then as it is now. But for those of us who haven't heard about you, Angie, give our listeners a little rundown of um, who you are and why you came to focus on nutrition for the female athlete. Yeah, so it's been a bit of a long journey, but first and foremost, I think it always started out as something that was quite selfish because I was an active female. So I just really wanted to learn more about myself and how best I could fuel the activity that I was doing. And then I took a bit of a deep dive into studying this as well. So I first and foremost started in an exercise physiology degree. So I was an exercise physiologist first, did everything from like personal trainer right through to specifically musculoskeletal rehab, working in pain management. So that was a wonderful career start, but there was something missing. There was something longing in the whole process of that. I was so interested in the manipulation of body composition. So I ended up going back to university and studying my master's in nutrition dietetics and then specializing in sports nutrition. So I am now, oh gosh, maybe 12, 13, maybe 13 years on, and I am officially an advanced sports dietitian. That's my official title. And I solely practice now in a um, clinic setting. Obviously, I'm online as well, um, thanks to COVID, but it's just broadened that reach, which I think is so fabulous because it means that we can start getting a message out to women because women is my absolute gem. Like I said, I'm a woman. I was an active woman. I wanted to know everything I could about nutrition and how to manipulate my body composition. I ended up in competing, so looking at like being a figure athlete. And what I found amongst my peers when I was going through that, 
all the other girls were really reporting symptoms such as, oh, I've lost my menstrual cycle. And, you know, the idea of competing and changing and manipulating your physique is to reduce your body fat as low as possible and increase your lean muscle mass. And of course, there's consequences to that being a female compared to a male. And so I saw this a lot of the time and I had a lot of these questions. I knew it wasn't particularly right, but it was kind of this underlying culture that was just accepted in that space that the leaner you got, the more indication as an athlete that you're actually on track to being competitive. And that is not just in the physique sports. That is definitely across a whole host of different sports. And I know that having worked as a sports dietitian for many, many years, years across a whole different variety of sports but also different levels of sport um, there's definitely this underlying inclination that you need to be leaner to be faster to be fitter and in general also I think from a general population perspective to be healthier and that might not necessarily be the case because there is a tipping point to that which is what I discovered when I went through this as a personal journey but also as a practitioner listening to my clients day in, day out in clinic and and never really even delving or asking so many questions that I do now around the menstrual cycle. And I think as females, that's something that we just don't consider or we want to put to the side or just ignore because it doesn't really help us in our athletic pursuits. And look, I talk to the athlete, but I'm really referring to the active woman. And this means that If you exercise with purpose and intention, if you have a value, an underlying value of health, or you really love just movement in general, and you train three or if not more times a week, then you are considered what I call an everyday athlete. So Leanne, I might refer to my athletes like that, but just please know that it encompasses just everyone and and all your listeners that are really into exactly what you speak about, which is obviously fitness as well. So yeah, it doesn't have to be elite in that aspect. Wonderful. And I myself consider myself an active female. So I like that that's who we're sort of talking to today. And we really do encourage every single female and male out there who may be listening as well to be active because it's not just around fat loss or body composition. There are so many wonderful health benefits that come with exercise as well, isn't there? Mental health, stress reduction, anxiety, improvements with sleep, cardiovascular wise, like the list goes on and on. Oh my God. I always, I say this line and if we could put exercise into a pill, it will single-handedly be the best thing that we could do for our health without any side effects. And I'm not talking extreme level because, you know, we, we I just touched on that briefly and saying, look, the, the tipping point or the end point in terms of the extreme diet and exercise isn't necessarily healthy as well. But like we said, the other aspect of that you know, we want to be in this middle range where we're actually getting all the benefits from exercise and and then applying nutrition to complement that exercise to make sure that we are living the most functional, sustainable, healthy life possible. And that then transcends into how you front up as a person to work, as a spouse or a wife, um, you know, it, as a mom, like, you know, there's so many things throughout my journey that I've discovered being a, a nutrition practitioner that I just didn't have any concept about. And one of those was really just first and foremost, acknowledging that women are different and that we do need different nutrition prescription and we need to encompass and come from that lens. And I, it's a tragedy and I, and I often kick myself and apologize to not listening better to women in my practice. And, you know, these things would come up time and time again, and I wouldn't ask why. And so a couple of years ago, I just started asking why. (laughs) Why are we different? Why do we need to do these sorts of things differently? And why is it that my women are reporting this? I knew it was there, but I took a deep dive into the research and I was thoroughly appalled that 
actually there's not a lot of research out there. And from a perspective of the active woman, a lot of the underlying sports nutrition principles that we have learned as practitioners were actually based on men and male studies. And shock horror, I went, oh my God, why didn't I think of this sooner? Why didn't I ask that question? And now it's such an exciting time, Leanne, because there is going to be an explosion of research and funding that is going towards looking at women in particular and active women and how they differ. And then, of course, how we can better prescribe nutrition in relation to the active woman. So it is definitely an exciting time, keeping my finger on the pulse. And hopefully we can talk about some of those wonderful things that have come up so far within the research today for your listeners. Oh, Ange, I'm so excited. But let's bring us right back to the beginning and talk about probably one of the easiest things to recognize and why females are so different. So let's chat about our period. So what exactly happens during our period? Let's break down the science and the physiology for a minute as our hormones tend to work on about this sort of four-week cycle, don't they? Yeah. So that's general, right? So a general four-week cycle, and that's why we call it a menstrual cycle because it is a system and a flow. And generally it lasts around about four weeks or 28 days. Now that's textbook average. So it is also normal to have between a 21 or a 35 day cycle and that's completely normal as well so it's kind of like you would expect to have a period or a bleed if you are a eumenorrheic or a regularly menstruating female every single month thereabouts or at least nine cycles per year is still determined as normal so that could fluctuate like i said in terms of the weeks or the the exact days of how long your period or your cycle lasts. But generally what we see over the course of that timeframe is there is a rise and a fall of two specific hormones, estrogen and progesterone. And these hormones are the influence of why we end up with the cycle and also the reason why we bleed and have a period. So if we talk to that, if we look at day one of the cycle, that's considered day one of your first day of your period or your your menses or your bleed. Um, and that for most women should last maybe between four to seven days thereabouts. So that's kind of what we term the early follicular phase. Then we move forward and estrogen sorts of, these are, our hormones relatively stay pretty baseline and then estrogen starts to take a bit of a rise just before ovulation. Ovulation happens around halfway through the cycle, which is around about, like I said, that day 14, if we have that textbook 28-day cycle. And then, of course, our hormones dip back down. So estrogen comes back down, but then estrogen and progesterone start to rise. And this is the star of progesterone. So it starts to become um, higher, a little bit higher than what estrogen would be, but we term the luteal phase, the high hormone phase. And that's day 14 to day 28. So as you can see, over the course of that cycle, our hormones start really low in the follicular phase. They hit ovulation. This is where our bodies release that egg ready for fertilization and pregnancy. And I hate to say it, but for most women, we are literally designed to have babies biologically. We might not want them at certain points in our life, and that's okay. That's totally fine but our bodies are genetically designed to to procreate. So that's why our body has a menstrual cycle and it releases an egg in order for that egg to be fertilized. And then, of course, if um, a pregnancy occurs, implantation occurs, and then what we will go through is obviously pregnancy, in which case we won't have a period after that. 
But if it doesn't occur, then that's when the cycle starts and commences again. So those hormones, they will rise back up. They, they do that in relation to building a uterus lining to support the pregnancy. So progesterone is what we term the progestation hormone. It supports your body. It gets it ready for that um, egg to be fertilized and implanted and create a nice little home for that baby to grow. Um, and of course, if that doesn't happen, then we flatline our hormones and then we start that cycle all over again. And then we shed that uterus lining, which is essentially our period. So I know that was a really long way of going about everything, but sometimes we think about our period as so simplistic. But to be honest, I have two science degrees and I'm a woman. And until I went back and looked at this, I had forgotten like we really don't tend to understand it. So it's important that we do understand our hormones, how they fluctuate, and then how we can best utilize or front up to training, how we can eat a little bit better for each of those cycle phases because no one week is the same when it comes to hormones and females. So that's really important to understand is that every single week is going to be different and that also has an effect in terms of our psychology, our mood, not just on a physiological level, not just what our hormones are doing. It's also on a substrate level. So how our bodies process food is really important to understand at each um, phase of that cycle. And then, of course, just understanding and accepting that your body can't be an absolute robot and we can't expect that we can hit pbs and perform and be absolutely fantastic every single week day in day out so yes there is a natural reason as to why we fluctuate and that is the underpinning physiology of why and it's so nice to break down the physiology because you know so many women just kind of go and i know with my with my coaching clients we do a 12-week program together and obviously you know we're aiming for them to have sort of you know three-ish cycles during that 12 weeks together and they'll be like i feel great and i feel great and i feel great and oh god i don't know what happened i'm i'm hungry i'm moody i'm cranky i'm bloated i don't know what's wrong with me this week and it's like there's nothing wrong with you welcome to woman like, and yeah. I think it, a lot of us understand that we have these weeks or these periods of time where we just feel like crap for lack of a better word. But unless we understand what's actually happening within our body, like there's a reason for all of that. We have these massive shifts in hormones that happen within just a couple of days or a week or so. And I think having that better understanding allows you to just give your body a little bit of almost like grace and kind of be like, okay, this is what's happening. This is what I can do to sort of work with my body, not against it. Hey. Oh, hundred percent. That acceptance and permission. It's a revelation for most women. And it's funny because when I talk to my ladies and I'm like, oh, you know, do you experience these types of symptoms every maybe three or four weeks? And they go, oh, I don't think so actually. And when they start to like record or just keep an a journal. So I like to keep a journal and I always like women to use yourself as your own experiment. So N equals one is how we term that in scientific terms, but <laughs> use yourself as the experiment, start recording and start seeing the pattern in your own individual journey. Because of course we know all women are so specific and individual to themselves that we can't generalize too much. We also need to understand that everybody's going to have a unique experience with their menstrual cycle. And, um, you know, we're talking to you men or women today. And this is, you know, for women that would expect to have a period. But if you aren't having a period and you don't know why, that is a bit of a red flag. That's a sign to say, okay, something's not on because, and this is the other attitude, which, you know, I just mentioned before, Leanne, was to say, people that were active were like, yes, thank God I don't have my period. Like they were celebrating the fact that they didn't have a period and they weren't pregnant. They weren't on a pill. There was no reason for them not to have their period. 
And then we started to go into, and we and we can, if you wanted to talk about this, but I know um, you probably have some other guests that have referred back to low energy availability mm-hmm. um, or the, you know, the extreme of that is, is red S. So looking at relative energy deficiency syndrome. So women not eating enough, exercising way too much, not eating enough, and then losing their menstrual cycle, that is problematic. So you are not at your optimal health if you do not have a period and you don't know why. 100%. And as inconvenient as it is, it is it is still a natural function of a human body, isn't it? It's normal. Totally normal. Yeah. Yeah. So if our listeners aren't interested in Red S, I actually did a two-part Q&A series where in the second part of that Q&A series, I answered a question all about Red S at the end of that Q&A. So we won't deep dive into um, Red S today, Ange, but what I would like to know from you is bearing in mind that we have these sort of, you know, on average 28-day cycles, can we quickly have a chat about why our listeners shouldn't be sort of weighing themselves on a daily basis and we should almost expect these scale weight fluctuations because of our menstrual cycles and why do things tend to go up and down a little bit throughout the months like you might as an example start at 100 kilos then drop down to sort of like 95 and a half next week you hit you know 90 eight and a half kilos and then you're back up to like 99 kilos and you're like what the heck I've been so on track what is going on yeah this is such a common occurrence and I'm glad we're talking about it so first and foremost we have to remember that if you are talking an acute weight change we are looking at a fluid fluctuation it is not body fat so too small a time frame does not mean that you're automatically putting on and dropping body fat in that period of time What it does signify is that there is hormones that do have an effect, estrogen and progesterone have an effect on our fluid system and also our gastrointestinal system. So when we start to get symptoms and people might report this, so a lot of women do report this in roughly about the five to seven days leading into their period and maybe the one to two days of their period itself, they report feeling extra bloated, holding a lot of water, so fluid retention. Um, And it's because we're, we're coming out of this high hormone or we're entering the high hormone phase and trying to then come back down and that then will then induce your period. So women often feel pretty ordinary day one and two and then of course the five to seven days leading into their period as well so that's when they'll experience that weight increase that they'll see on the scales but please don't be alarmed it's it's really if you think that jumping on the scales and then seeing that number then creates an emotive response and then you change your eating habits and behaviors or exercise behaviors as a result of that then that's detrimental so please don't do that because just be aware that if your response to an increase on the scales is to think automatically oh my god I've put on body weight so either I find my women do either one or two things they go out and they reduce their food exercise more or they go the other way and they're like oh well the diet's not working and they give up so they do three weeks on and then they give up in this last week because they see that their weight increases on the scales I'm like no 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 no. like no this is not the point and the time to do that however if we understand what our hormones are doing And if we think about substrate utilization, so in that luteal phase, that late luteal phase, our body actually really struggles to oxidize carbohydrate. And it's the reason why we dive into what we term the PMS week and we crave things that might be containing a little bit more carbohydrate because our body can't access our carbs effectively because we're in a high hormone state. And so we start to crave salty, carby, maybe kind of chocolatey type of foods, you know, 
if you're with me, say yes and nod. Um, because it's definitely it's definitely <laughs> a thing, right? And so then as a result of that, our bodies are actually speaking to us and we need to listen. The amount of times I have women come in and go, How can you stop my cravings in PMS week? I'm like, absolutely freaking not. We are not stopping your cravings. We are eating to those cravings and we are making sure that we're providing your body with what it's asking for. So if it struggles to get through carbohydrate and you're still consistently trying to exercise, go about your daily life, do all the sorts of awesome things that you do and be productive, your body needs carbohydrate. And it might possibly actually need a little bit more in that luteal phase. So Then it's pulling back down to the weight issue. So when we store carbohydrate, one gram of carbohydrate stores with 2.7 grams of water. So automatically you're getting four times the amount of water weight that's going on if you're going to increase your carbs. If you choose salty carby foods, sodium increases fluid retention. So it's not a bad thing, but you have to remember that these are now compounding factors as to why it is that you are increasing your weight on the scales. And the whole reason for this is what I call pesty prostaglandins. So <laughs> these are pro-inflammatory responsible signals that happen as a result of your uterus lining and they help to contract your uterus and shed the uterus lining when you get your period. So prostaglandins cause inflammation and then when we start to see inflammation in and around the uterus, it affects our bowels because guess what? They are really close together. (laughs) So if you think about the concept of anatomy and why do we get loose bowel motions, gas, wind, bloating, you know, a bit of diarrhea for some people, like back pain. So all these inflammatory response markers are happening in your body and that's contributing to a little bit of water retention. It also perceptually feels like you're bigger because if you're bloated, you'll have a reference point that now your belt feels a little bit different or you put your jeans on and they're like, oh, they feel a little bit tight. Once again, automatically, we think that we put on body fat, but it's not. It's that transient response. And if you start to keep that regular check-in with yourself and if you start to notice that, oh, this just happens every month, then you start to not worry about it. So it will come back down. It will do its thing. And like I said, when our hormones come back down, we will see that weight drop again. So don't let it deter. If you do have a weight loss focus goal, please don't let it derail your efforts. You just have to be consistent. And I would suggest don't ever take your measures unless they're every four weeks apart. (laughs) And not during period week, right? Yes, maybe the week after, please. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So I think it's fair to say that fat loss really, if we're using the scale weight as a marker of, of progress with fat loss, it really is something that we should be averaging every four weeks because people go, I lost two kilos in the first week, then a kilo and a half, and then only half a kilo that I've put on a kilo. Like what the heck happened? So what I sort of teach my clients, and I'm sure you're the same, is that we sort of average things over a four-week period. So it's not to say that you lost half a kilo, a kilo, half a kilo, and, you know, what up? It's that you've averaged that, you know, maybe two kilos down over the four weeks versus what's happening on a weekly basis. So we really want that average across that 28 days versus this is what I do every single week, which I think is a trap that, as you mentioned, so many women get into where we then hit the period week and the weight goes up and it's like, oh, what the po- what's the point? I've tried so hard. Um, it's not working. I'm going to, you know, stop all my healthy habits that I've been doing. Oh, hundred percent. And I'm in full agreement with that. And, you know, I always talk about weight loss not being linear and that is exactly the reason why it's not going to happen exactly like you are not a robot. You know, it is not going to happen if I reduce my calories by this, I expect that I'm going to lose this much amount of weight. And then you start questioning your, your intervention because you're not losing weight at the same rate that you started out as. But you also have to remember the leaner you get, 
the more you should be looking at scaling back that average of weight loss anyway as well because you don't have as much to lose. So I always like to look at an average of about half a percent of your current body weight loss per week in that four-week cycle. So if you weigh 70 kilos, half a percent of that is 350 grams. Let's times that by four. We're looking at 1.4 kilos over the month. So it doesn't matter how, like you said, Leanne, it might happen as long as that's kind of the average if we're looking at what the deficit was. And if you've got your deficit right with your calculations, with your macros and all that sort of stuff and your energy expenditure and you know, energy balance is a whole different thing in itself. Um, but if that's what you've been doing consistently, just trust the process, please. And I love that because, you know, a 70 kilo uh, female or male might think, oh, 1.4 kilos in a month. Like, what's the point? Mm. Whereas, you know, as health professionals, we're like that's amazing because that's true fat loss and that is you know slow sustainable you're going to be able to maintain it you've done it in a healthy way like we celebrate that whereas so many people are so conditioned to you know you look you open up a trashy magazine it's like lose five kilos by friday like we're so conditioned to just looking at these massive sort of water weight fluctuations and what happens as you mentioned when we pull back on our carbs our weight can drop quite a lot but it's really just that water weight loss like our muscles are dropping that water out of the muscle stores and out of the liver and it's not actually true fat loss at the end of the day so I think realistic expectations if we're using the scale is so important as well yeah I think biggest loser like really stuffed up my clinic because people came in with an (laughs) expectation they were like why can't I lose a kilo a week like if not five kilos a week because that's what they did on the biggest loser I was like um yeah let's talk about how really rapid weight loss isn't actually fat loss so you know definitely exactly speaking to what you said is that yeah it has to if it's too acute if you don't give it the time like Fat loss takes chronic change and you have to play the patience game, but you have to play the consistent game. And like I said, always trust the process, but it will happen. But just, yeah, stick with it and work with a professional. Oh my gosh. Like, cause then they can keep you not necessarily accountable. They can keep rational, rationalizing your experience and telling you why things are happening in your body. If you don't understand that, you're left to your own device and that's when you start to think like that. Yeah, and that could be totally detrimental, not only physically but psychologically down the track. Oh, couldn't agree more. Yeah, I think working with a professional is is key. All right, Ange, well, let's talk more about hunger and periods because it's a big thing for a lot of people, myself included. I definitely know that a few days, I sort of, before I started tracking my cycle, before we sort of started trying for a baby and that sort of thing, just earlier in my younger 20s and even late 20s, I would know kind of that my period was coming because I would feel hungry. I get these days where I used to call them like one or two days of like the bottomless pit days. Like no matter what I ate, I never felt satisfied just for that one or two days a month. And I was like, what the heck is going on? All right my period's definitely coming up. So I myself experience it. I know we have a lot of clients who do. Why do we feel a little bit hungry leading up to our cycle? And if we had to quantify this amount for our listeners at home, what sort of extra energy or extra calories do we tend to burn during this period? This is a great question. And it's one that only has been started to be investigated to have exact answers for. So Leanne, you and I both know we are evidence-based practitioners. We always look at the science before we make any recommendations. So we try to find evidence within the literature first um, to see if it will make an effect with our clients. And there was a paper that was released this year, so only this year. Ooh, um, hot off the press. It was, oh, look, hot off the press. So it was a narrative <laughs> review. I can give you the link if anyone wants to deep dive into that, but it was a review. It was sex differences and considerations for female-specific nutrition strategies. So whilst it was a narrative review, it was looking at kind of all the, the studies that were out there 
and making suggestions as, as to can we actually say with definitive science and evidence that we should be changing how we tell women to eat based on their menstrual cycle. And as you just mentioned, we know that something is up in that late luteal phase, that PMS week, that craving comes through. I am exactly the same. I find myself like raiding the cupboard, my kids' um, snacks cupboard for like the chips. (laughs) Where are those chips? Like, And I was like, I don't even like chips. Here I am like raiding the cupboard for them because I'm in exactly the same position. So if it's happening to me, if it's happening to you, I can guarantee it's happening to a lot of your listeners. Um, So we know that there's something up, right? Now we've got the science to say, yeah, we actually understand that. And it's based on each phase and and what our body is using from a sub straight perspective so substrate means what fuel does my body use more in my luteal phase versus my follicular phase so the luteal phase is what we're referring to because that's when the pms cravings and the carb cravings come in so what happens with our luteal phase is that our fat oxidation goes up so we are actually really good at burning fat which means that we are pretty awesome at endurance sports And so that aside, I think that we can still uh, look to make improvements when we're looking at a lot of things in relation to exercise. So that's a positive. Our protein oxidation also goes up in our luteal phase as well. So if we're not eating fat and if we're not eating protein, we're going to suffer a little bit more effectively. So we need to make sure that within our food and our nutrition that those two things are covered. Now, we know fat is beautiful for hormone production. So if you are on a really extremely low-fat diet, Mm I would be inclined to think that these might be exacerbated, okay? Or if you're not eating enough energy in general, maybe because you're on the weight loss campaign or you've been told to follow a 1,000 calories and, you know, do all those sorts of crazy things, which we would never, ever recommend, then it means that sometimes your basal metabolic rate will be suppressed, but also your leptin will be lowered as well, which is the signal to tell yourself that you're satisfied. So you might have exacerbated cravings because of that. So it was important for me to mention that. If you're not eating enough protein as well, sometimes we tend to overdo the carbohydrates because we're trying to reach our protein threshold Mm -hmm. and that is a real thing for active women i don't think in general we eat a lot of protein or quality protein throughout the day so that could also increase the carbohydrate cravings now it coupled with that and i have mentioned it before but we have a lowered carbohydrate oxidation so we just can't tap in and utilize those carbs that we are eating as effectively as considered our follicular phase so in our low hormone phase we might find that we don't have those cravings we can actually push it really really hard in the gym and we're totally unaffected our carb cravings creep in and now all of a sudden we hit the gym we're like oh my god i can't even do anything like it feels so much harder to go at the same rate or the same level right and of course if our body so if we think about it if we experience a perception of a rating of perceived exertion so we use a thing like called an rpe scale with exercise and it's just a subjective rating it's just you kind of fronting up going okay well none of my sessions have changed i'm doing the same sessions whatever that is and whatever it looks like for you but you've gone into that session and gone oh my god like your heart rate goes through the roof which signifies you're actually it's harder for you to get through that exercise. Now, why does that happen? Of course, our core temperature is elevated in our luteal phase, and then it relates to our whole system. So if our core temperature is elevated, our heart rate's elevated, we're struggling to get through exercise at the same intensity compared to the follicular phase. We now know it's around about 25 to 11% increase in our total resting energy expenditure. So our whole system actually requires more food. 
Now, I know 25 to 11.5%. What the hell does that mean? Okay, it's just a statistic, but what it becomes really important to acknowledge is that we do need more food. Our bodies are operating at a higher level. We're trying to keep our core temperature down. Our thirst regulation is probably affected as well. And we're burning through more fat, more protein, and we can't tap into carbohydrates. So we can give ourselves permission to allow, I would say roughly, I call it a serve of carbohydrates. It's about 25, 30 grams of carbohydrates, roughly between 100 to 150 calories extra per day in that five to seven days leading into our period and the one to two days of our period. And for most women, it's women, it's not even that long. Like you mentioned two or three days. I'm exactly the same. It's probably two or three days just before I get my period where I'm starting to go, where's those carbohydrates? So if we can approach it in that instance and have our nutrition foundations already set in motion, so we've got good fats available, good protein generally day to day, then we can try and increase our carbohydrates to help us through that little bit of a phase that we're going through. And that essentially, as a sports dietitian, we call this a carb load, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) A small carb load. Um, If you were going into an endurance-based event, obviously I'd ramp that up a lot more. But given that our body can't necessarily tap into that carbohydrate just yet, we're asking a little bit more of it. We're putting a little bit more on board to help ourselves through that situation. Then the following week where your hormones drop down, maybe day one or two isn't comfortable for you just because it might be heavier bleeding in terms of day one or two of your period. But after which you can be a freaking rock star in the gym because you've got carbohydrate on board. So it's definitely something that it's there, it's real. We know why with the physiology underneath that. And now I've told you how to try to work with your body with and using food and just give yourself even the permission alleviate stress and anxiety for most women. And then what we can do is we can control somewhat how much that you are eating. So it's not like, okay, I'm going to eat the whole packet of chips. It's like, oh, righto, cravings are here. I know that this is my what my body's telling me to do. I'm going to consciously go and increase those carbohydrates because the last thing we want to do is have really junky type of foods. So like the high fat, the really high sugar, high processed foods, unfortunately are also pro-inflammatory. So when our body is in that inflamed state, just getting our uterus lining ready to shed, we don't want to contribute to more inflammation um so what we don't want to be doing is choosing those types of foods so i'm talking about beautiful carbohydrates so we can make better decisions around carbohydrates right we can choose the beautiful high fiber ones the whole grain ones that are really going to give us not only energy in the form of glycogen but also all the nutrients the wonderful nutrients that go with it and the beautiful fibrous elements of that as well to then stave off that extreme level of hunger So all those things combined, plus good quality protein, great fats, anti-inflammatory fats, extra virgin olive oil, avocado seeds, nuts, you know, all those sort of wonderful things all contribute to reducing those cravings down a little bit, but also know that we're eating to the cravings. So we can allow for some, but make sure overall your foundations are just beautiful with nutrition anyway. Oh, and that was amazing. Okay, let me try and summarize this quickly to make sure that I understood it right and for our listeners at home. So in the days leading up to our cycle, which is the luteal phase, that's more like you were saying our body utilizes anywhere from 2 to 11% extra energy, just doing what it's doing. Okay, amazing. And that's sort of translates to, you were saying, roughly an extra serve of carbohydrates, which might be anywhere from, say, 100 calories to 150 calories, depending on, I guess, the size of the female, because we're all different. Somebody who's four foot 11 would need less energy than somebody who's six foot two, right? Yeah. So I think that's an important point. 
I'm interrupting this episode for a quick healthy break to introduce you to the episode sponsor, Anna Louisa Jury. That's A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A. I'm excited to partner with this brand as they have a sustainable mission and their beautiful pieces of jewelry are stunning, yet timeless, versatile, but most importantly affordable, with pieces starting at just $39. US So if you're wanting to spoil yourself or your loved ones, check out Anna Luisa for 10% off at shop.analuisa.com forward slash Leanne, as I cannot get enough of their gorgeous pieces. So for 10% off, you guys can use my code, which is Leanne in capital letters, or head to the show notes for my discount link to treat yourself and your loved ones to some Anna Luisa jewelry. Now let's head on back to our podcast episode. And then you're saying that the body can't tap into or utilize carbohydrates as much. So the best thing to do during that real hungry couple of days is to actually increase those carbohydrates a little bit. And you're saying, if possible, the better quality types of carbohydrates and so maybe a serve of fruit and like one or two squares of like beautiful dark chocolate or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. And also like, you know, think about what type of cravings that you want. So if you are really going for things that aren't that fantastic, it's a really nice time to look at your overall quality of your diet because uh, we know there's certain micronutrients that might be more beneficial to help you through that phase as well. And if we're not eating a predominantly colorful, whole food, plant-based diet, then we're missing out on a lot of those beneficiary aspects of the micronutrients and the nutrient density as opposed to just calorie-dense foods without that nutrition component. Um, And that could also, like I said, exacerbate our symptoms. And great point that you put up, obviously, everyone's individual. We might be different sizes, so some people's needs might be a lot higher than others. And also remember that some women might not even experience this. So it's okay. I think it's just Mm -hmm. knowing your own body and and having an understanding of what your needs are is just really paramount. Mm, And I think that's a great point because I don't, um, obviously I'm pregnant now, so I haven't had my period for seven months, which has actually been amazing, I must say. But previous to that, I I wouldn't say that I experienced that sort of like that hunger that I just couldn't satisfy for two or three days. I wouldn't get that every month. It would be maybe maybe every two to three months, I think. And I'm just kind of like, oh, what's going on here? Like I was fine last month. And so is there like a reason why some months we just, those PMS sort of symptoms hit us more than other months? Or is that just a normal, wonderful part of being a female? (laughs) Well, I I don't know if I've got the answer to it and I don't know if we'll ever know. And this is what's been the problematic aspect of studying females is that because we're actually a little bit hard to study, it's hard to get a systemized way of actually studying us at different flavors phases of our cycle, which is why in the past, the research in the medical and the sports nutrition field has shied away from actually doing the research to answer that question specifically. So once again, this year, there was a paper that got brought out by Dr. Kirsty Elliott Sale, who is a wonderful researcher in the female space and, and has been for a long period of time. But we are finally now knowing how to study females so we can answer the nuances of exactly that question. So why is it that this phase in this cycle, I was extra hungry. And why is it that the other time I might not have been? And I think there's so many nuances amongst that. So um, just keep a record. Maybe it's something that you've done. Maybe you're extra stressed. Okay, we haven't talked to stress, but this is a huge one. So maybe you've got a big work deadline that you're doing and that's affected your ability to get through and even your concentration like we have to remember estrogen and progesterone our fluctuations they affect so many systems in our body 
and really one of the huge signs and symptoms is looking at things like anxiety and depression. So if we are particularly getting pain and, and cravings around our menstrual cycle, then it needless to say it's actually going to be affecting our cognitive function as well and how we focus and how we front up to things that we do. If you're stressed, that is compounded in terms of pain and the perception of pain as well, um, or cravings for that matter. So yeah, there's so many things. I wish I could tell you the answer. Unfortunately, I don't have it, but just look at what's happening and what's going on and try to see the difference. Is there something different this month that you did compared to last month? And if you're not recording or journaling those types of things and like I said not just nutrition and exercise it's the subjectives how much sleep did you have now we know that if we so much as reduce our sleep by like maybe 20 percent maybe it's even less but it has an effect on our hunger hormones leptin and ghrelin so then that might be the increased cravings as a response to that so yeah so many ways so many avenues we can go into but yeah just be aware of it and just think well what did I do differently this month compared to last month and maybe that might hold the answer for you at this stage until the research can catch up and tell us definitively absolutely and I love how you you gave our listeners two simple tools I mean I think tracking your cycle is so incredibly important and I think that's so like I didn't honestly start doing that until we started thinking about you know wanting to have a baby but I wish that I had done that so much earlier on just as you mentioned to see those differences month to month or to even just understand a little bit more about my cycle so when I got into the gym and things just felt 10 times harder but I'm like, I did this last week and it was fine just having that understanding of oh maybe I'm about to have my period or something like that I think is just it's just powerful information isn't it that we can we can understand and work oh, with our bodies so yeah and as you said giving ourselves permission to eat a little bit extra in the days leading up and days one and two of our cycle which a lot of us are like no I'm trying to diet fat loss is the goal I'm just going to ignore it it'll go away and then it's just like it gets to the point where it's like that hunger is the only thing you can think about and then you end up eating half the pantry and you're like oh crap I've ruined my diet so I think being aware yeah that it's coming up and actively you know allowing yourself and giving yourself permission to have that extra little bit of food can just be so good mentally but also of course physically when you're actually feeding your body what it needs oh absolutely and and i think this it compounds over time so the more you do this the more you get into this habit and this pattern of just like really suffering and i i just i'm so passionate about nourishing women rather than punishing them with removing food like we we live in this culture where women in particular like our body is so much wrapped up in our self-worth and and even food i actually think food the relationship that we have with food is also wrapped up in our self-worth and how we identify as ourselves as do we eat these good foods do we eat these bad foods like and we number one beat ourselves up far too often so that inner mean girl you know and I know you've had Dr Libby on the on the podcast and she is just so wonderful so you know looking at things like self-sabotage and those types of things and constantly just berating ourselves on the inside that internal language and dialogue is so detrimental and then that compounds into all the things that we do behaviorally around that and then of course the other thing is we just completely want to ignore our cycle and just don't want it when it's actually something that we should be embracing it can be your superpower as you said once you started looking at it you're like I can just actually give myself a bloody break. And to that level as well, we spoke about nutrition, but also exercise. So if you are in a high hormone state, late luteal phase, PMS week, your work's compounded, your kids are yelling at you, you've got so many other responsibilities, it's actually okay to still go to the gym but not train at the same intensity or level as what you would have in previous weeks. And I would often recommend for women, like I'm all about movement because we know that exercise actually produces endorphins. It actually produces anti-inflammatory properties as well that help 
uh, any sort of menstrual cramping or bloating and those types of IBS-related responses to it. So it actually can be really, really beneficial. But most women do report a bit of back pain as well when they're going into this with the high hormone state. So sometimes, and I know for me, deadlift day always falls on like a Wednesday and that's like two or three days before I actually get my period. And I was like, oh, my back just doesn't feel great. So I just don't deadlift that day or I go and I choose another exercise or I go and do a restorative yoga class and I really nurture my body. So I'm not taking the time away that you need to devote to exercise because I think that's a real big key for most women. They just go, I won't train because I feel like crap. No, go and train because it's going to create endorphins. It's going to make you feel better. It'll put you in social circles, which, you know, helps your psychology or it'll get you outdoors, which increases, you know, wonderful aspects of happiness we know that so do that but maybe walk instead of run or like i said do a restorative session or a recovery session um you know a gentle swim instead of going in and smashing it in the gym every single week week in week out and in that week in particular i naturally say this could be a beautiful deload week for you so if you think about your cycle you need to be operating your training cycle and overlaying that with your menstrual cycle so if you have First two weeks, great. Gun it, go for it. Awesome. Estrogen's anabolic. You know, we know that it contributes to bone mass and um, bone mineral density and lean mass. And so that's fantastic to have. But maybe when it's really high and you can't tap into carbohydrates, you are actually automatically going to reduce the intensity of that exercise anyway because you just can't keep it up. So your body is whispering to you. We just need to learn how to listen to it. Love that. And I, I do remember from memory, we had um, Dr. Stacey Sims on, who was wonderful, wonderful in this area. And she, I remember her saying the biggest days for you to hit your PBs from memory, it's something like, you know, day three, four of your cycle. Like that's where you're the strongest. You're like a superwoman. It's like, you know, give yourself a break the days leading into it in day one, two, but come day three, four, when most people are still going, no, nah, I've got my period. I'm not going to train. That is the best chance you have to be strong, fit, fast. Is that right? Did I get that right? Absolutely. That's exactly right. And, you know, once again, everyone's individual. So that might be, you know, you might be day three, four or day seven or eight or something like that. But in and around that early, that sort of early to mid, I would say mid follicular phase is a really cool, I, I feel my best, um, but a really cool point to go, okay, can I kick it a little bit more in my sessions? And so that's when you might be going, yeah, or you just in general, just observe, just be the observer of how that felt. Like you might front up and go, oh my God, I hit that PB today. And I probably wasn't mentally ready. Maybe I had a shit day at work or maybe I had an argument with someone. But when I got to the gym, I felt fantastic. So yes, on a physiological level, those days where your hormones are reasonably low, we kind of mimic men, to be quite honest, in that phase. Um, And we know that men have higher muscle mass, higher testosterone, like they are constantly, so they're on a 24-hour cycle, whereas we're on a 28-day cycle. Mm. We fluctuate. (laughs) Once everyone learns and accepts that, then we'll be in a much better place. But yeah, that's exactly right. I agree. And I agree personally. I agree from a physiology level. But of course, everyone's individual and they need to figure out what is the best day for them themselves too. Definitely. But not just saying, oh, I've got my period, I won't exercise. Because I think that just sort of creates this disempowerment, doesn't it? Rather than the opposite of we want to feel really empowered. We want to understand what's happening with our cycles, with our bodies, giving ourselves that rest. All right, maybe we'll go for a long, slow walk, a yoga or Pilates session and a swim for the couple of days leading in and day one, two, where we've got a lot of cramping and pain and that sort of thing. Then day three, four, five, we're feeling a bit better. We've had those extra carbohydrates. Let's put that to good use and let's go hard in whatever sport or exercise we choose and actually get some great benefits out for the next couple of days. 
That makes me so excited. Like I hope your listeners go, yes, that empowers me because that's all we're trying to do here is really give you some tips and some tricks to then go and implement. And you tell us, like tell us how you front up, tell us how you feel. Now having that knowledge and knowledge is power. When we know better, we do better. So the more you can gain in terms of information on yourself, the better opportunity you have for growth. And I think that is the key to life really in general. Yeah. So listeners take note, keep track, track your cycle and leave us a review in the Purple Apple Podcast app and let us know if for all of Andrew's wisdom has helped um, and has changed the way that you train and the way that you think about yourself and your body and your cycle and your training and your nutrition, because I do think there are some golden nuggets in this conversation today. And I'm so happy to have you on Ange. And then to finish up with, I really wanted to chat really around um, like specific nutrients and even some supplementation that can help within this sort of PMS. Cause we've mentioned a few times that it's sort of this inflammatory response, like your body is going through so much, even if it's just sort of maybe a seven day period, you do, you, you feel that on a, on a physiological level, like so many of us just feel crap. So is there any sort of specific nutrients that you would recommend we get in from a nutrition perspective around our cycles? Any sort of big ones that come to mind for you? Absolutely. So I'll talk to, um, first and foremost, acknowledging the fact that we are losing blood every single month. So it's important. And we would know that with the recommended guidelines of iron intake, that we are really focusing on having iron containing foods, maybe not necessarily just in that period of time, but it is important to think about that. Um, If you are losing blood, then you're obviously losing iron. And of course, that might affect our energy, our oxygen um, carrying capacity and those types of things as well and might contribute to possibly for some women, low iron or anemia at that, um, you know, the the extreme level of that as well. Um, And that, of course, is going to influence our exercise. So I often see women report things like tiredness or just chronic tiredness. So like on a day-to-day basis, they're like, you know, I'm tired because I'm busy and all the rest of it, but I just feel like there's something a little bit different going on here. Um, The really big telltale sign I see with a lot of active women is um, the huffing and puffing with exercise. So if you do things exercise-wise and if you are in your follicular phase and you should be feeling fantastic and you go for that run and you're finding that, gosh, your shortness of breath is starting to be a little bit alarming, that's a really big sign to say, yeah, there's something going on possibly with your iron and then maybe even looking at some other factors and parameters around that as well. But iron coupled with B12, I think is really important in general for women um, because of course we uh, we lose blood every single month in our menstruating years. So that is the reason why our iron needs are recommended higher than men. And the other sort of core component as well that I look at with most women is calcium and vitamin D. Um, I think those two things really contribute to bone metabolism. And as we age, so I'm not talking um, old women, I'm talking past the age of 35. So that is my age group. <laughs> I'm past 35. Um, and we're not even getting into things like perimenopause and menopause, which I'm sure we can cover in another session (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but but from that aspect our estrogen starts to decline after 35 so we're starting to see this drop in estrogen and I mentioned that estrogen is anabolic it helps with bone mineral density and lean muscle mass and as that starts to drop off then it becomes even more important that we are looking at other cofactors to help mitigate that decline and it's what we term sarcopenia um, in relation to lean bone mass and um, body mass over time just it's an aging process it's a natural thing that happens but we can slow that down with with looking at beautiful food and nutrients as a result of that so vitamin d and also calcium is really important and i think for women most in particular is high quality or high hbv high biologically valuable protein and having that in the diet 
regular drip feeds over the day is important to retain or accrue good lean muscle mass. And that's in combination with doing resistance training. So that can then mitigate that age-related decline in, in lean tissue and that'll keep us functioning from a longevity perspective a lot longer in our lives as well. So those all need good nutrition to help us to get through. So those ones are in of particular importance. Um, if I'm talking just on PMS week, what I probably would do, and I um, I know that Stacey Sims uh, might have recommended this as well in the past, and I've actually started to use what, what I call my PMS protocol or my little supplement stack when it comes to this. Mm-hmm. And this is specifically looking at um, a couple of key nutrients, namely magnesium, zinc, omega-3s, and possibly something that is uh, NSAID, so a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, um, so something such as aspirin or possibly white willow bark. So these types of things might help us get through our PMS week a little bit more effectively. So this is implemented the five to seven days leading into our period, kept up for the one to two days of our period, and then taken out through the rest of the cycle. So if you do that for three cycles, you might find that you'll get a reduction in PMS symptoms. And that, of course, like we mentioned, Leanne, was in relation to, yes, us losing blood, but also the increase of prostaglandins, which a lot of the PMS symptoms are related back to. So helping our bodies, that contraction that happens, so prostaglandins are in there to help that uterus contract and expel the uterus lining. Um, and if we add things such as magnesium and anti-inflammatories, we can help that, that muscle tension alleviate just a little bit. Be mindful if you have too much magnesium, it could cause diarrhea, which is not great because generally women report loose bowel motions over the course of PMS week as well. So you don't want to go to that extreme. Um, But obviously talking with your practitioner about those doses is really important. I think that in combination with a full dietary assessment and saying, well, where can I get food sources of those vitamins that I just mentioned first and then supplement second. So um, the supplement stack, like I said, is coming in on top of an already well-balanced diet that we've looked at in terms of all the wonderful things we've suggested already. Um, but yeah, those that particular combination of specific supplements works really freaking great. Like I, I know, and I've done it with my clients before and they've reported really um, in, uh, such an improvement in their PMS symptoms. And like I said, it's not forever. It's just to go in, go hard for a certain period of time and then pull it out and see how you respond as well. And I always like to say a like a whole food plant-based diet really helps with removing any excess estrogen because I think for a lot of women and particularly like it depends on age group and, you know, alcohol is a huge issue maybe for like younger years, but also it, it does form a factor in our older years as well. But alcohol in particular increases circulating estrogen um, and of course some other factors within our lifestyle depending on our food choices um, depending on our, on our environment and then our genetics as well might actually exacerbate our estrogen so we might have higher levels of estrogen which is problematic because it actually increases our risk of things such as breast cancer so having phytoestrogen foods something like soy or soy-based whole foods edamame tempeh tofu miso all that sort of wonderful good um, soy-based foods legumes having a really beautiful high fiber diet plant-based sources of this can help to really reduce a lot of those excess circulating estrogens which might be contributing to exacerbating pms so our diet really holds the key to us getting through in the best possible way and i think in combination with like i said looking at a few supplementations but also eating really well over the course of that time frame we could really just 
cruise in and cruise out. And that's exactly how we want to operate. You know, our period wants to just show up and it should just show up. But if you are experiencing exacerbating pain, we call this oligomenorrhea. So if you have irregular cycles or menagerie, which is like heavy blood flow, very painful, you're experiencing things that are just a little bit unusual, either for you or in general, like you're like, it's now a debilitating enough to affect my life then we need to find out first and foremost the cause of that and then of course yes we talk to nutrition but i just wanted to mention that because there is the other end of that that might be a little bit more problematic and super painful for um, most women but generally like i said those tips and tricks and those nutrients will support general pms um, but other than that if you are experiencing stuff or it's not helping i would definitely recommend that you um, seek some gp advice first and foremost um i love female practitioners i feel like they understand women i know that's generalizing but i'm like oh you know i feel like they understand women a little bit better because they are a woman but you know there's fabulous practitioners out there and sports physicians that you can um, contact in relation to why it is that you're experiencing that so i thought it was nice to mention yeah definitely i love the supplements you mentioned because stacy sims did um sort of go into that a little bit as well with the omega-3s the magnesium the zinc the baby aspirin but as you said we are all different um, and i think it's really really important to get um practitioner support in finding like the individualized amount for you i wouldn't just go start popping aspirin just because you've got your period and zinc and and you know the magnesium can make things a lot worse for some people particularly if we do get you know a lot more of those period poops <laughs> as you mentioned um but yeah, i do no, think that a yeah. good quality diet as again you mentioned is so key as a foundation and then adding in some specific supplements for some people who you know might really suffer and would you suggest as i mentioned some some months i would find my pms symptoms are so much worse and other months i'd kind of be like oh i don't think i really had any at all with that supplement stack would you just be doing that on the months that people felt more symptomatic and then sort of leave that or pause that on months where they actually didn't feel too bad when you first start that so if i get a client that comes in and they have suggested to me i would always ask them how is your period how what's the experience of that um i would always first and foremost say to them let's try this for three consecutive monthly cycles and then see so then we make an assessment and if they've noticed that it's has alleviated a lot of their symptoms they're like great then I would take it out then I would cease it and then I'd say well let's try to now see what it's like without that and you know over the course of that three-month period of time when I'm working with them I'm also really focusing on beautiful nutrition foundations as well and regular activity so we're doing a lot of other things um, that to help support that as well from a nutritional food first um, approach and I don't like to supplement all the time I like to just put it in when necessary but when you're first starting out I generally would say three consecutive cycles and then just reassess and see how you go so yeah and then I find women really love it and they don't want to take it out in which case yes if everything is great and we don't have any risk of you know toxicity or it's working and functioning well with their body then I would actually say well yeah let's try keeping it in because they love it so much that they're just like I just want to do it every month um but you know I I do like to have washout periods where I take that supplement away and go how's your body working on its own so that's ideally where we want to get women to is just you know we have to get our food right we have to get consistency in what we're doing um and i often find like what like exactly like we mentioned sometimes those pms the higher pms experiences or the worst pms experiences is not necessarily related to even food it's stress it's like what's going on in their life you know mm-hmm. and it's kind of like oh well that's 
no supplement's going to kind of fix that. Mm. We need to address the main cause um, of the reason why you're going through that emotional turmoil and, um, yeah, looking at some other lifestyle factors too. Yeah, so, you know, if you're stressed out to your eyeballs, you're running a five-hour sleep when you're drinking like a fish, I don't think there's a supplement that's going to help fix that, is there? No, <laughs> which is why it's important that we do a full assessment. <laughs> Wonderful. All right, and well, that brings us to the end of our podcast today. You've just been a wealth of knowledge, so I can't thank you enough. But any final tips or tricks that you want to leave our listeners with around period nutrition? If you had one big take-home message for our listeners, um, what would it be? I just want women to start thinking about nourishment first. I think we are so ingrained in this diet-based culture that pulls food out, so no food, excess exercise, and then all for this body composition goal and what for because it could actually end up being worse for our health long term. So first and foremost, I want women to understand that it has to be about nourishment. You have to start working with your cycle. Your cycle can and will become your superpower if you start to acknowledge it. And doing all those types of things, once we couple your cycle on top of your training program with a beautiful solid nutrition plan, you can be absolutely unstoppable. So if anything, make sure that you always put yourself first because I think for a lot of my women, they are very much caretakers. They give, give, give. They give so much that they end up with nothing. Their cup is empty at the end of the day. And then we then see ramifications in relation to their menstrual cycle as a result of that. So please put yourself first. Record. Make sure you have an idea about what your body is going through. And if you need help, please don't delay. I often see women coming in and they're totally burnt out. They have lost their menstrual cycle for more than three months and they're just like, I don't even know what to do anymore. So please don't delay in seeking help. And it's okay to ask for help too. Now, that ain't an empowering little pep talk. I don't know what is it. I love it. I'm feeling on top of the world just listening to you. So thank you so much again for coming on and sharing all of your wealth of knowledge with our listeners. Where can they find you? Where can they reach out on socials to you? How can they book in for a consultation with you? Yeah, wonderful. Okay, so you can head across to my website, which is just angeliqueclark.com.au. At the moment, I have some awesome super fuel female design recipes, so a whole recipe book. So you can just start there straight up. So you can pop your details into that. If you are thinking about you need to be uh, looked at as the little experiment that we spoke about, the N equals one, I have a nutrition to soil coaching program that deals with women in particular, active women specifically over the age of 35. Um, so it's definitely looking at this sort of transitionary period of our lives and wanting to understand and know your health a little bit better, but you're kind of lost. You've done all the diets. You're getting to the point where you're just like, I'm just sick of it. It's not working for me. Then you possibly need some one-on-one -on -one attention, um, in which case definitely pop me an inquiry on the website and I will get to you. Other than that, you can definitely follow me on Instagram. I am at Angelique Clark underscore nutrition and I will endeavor to always do evidence-informed um, tips, tricks, everything as it relates to the active female with nutrition and also some exercise tips in there as well. Um, so don't hesitate to follow me there or DM me. I'm very happy to answer any question. I always try to be the best practitioner that I can can for each and every one of you. So I'm definitely all about 
empowering women and seeing us succeed on multiple levels through food. Amazing. And I've just looked up the podcast that we did originally together, Ange. The first one is, of course, still on this podcast, Leanne Ward Nutrition. It was episode seven we did. So Ange was one of my first guests on. Actually, no, I correct myself. We did episode six and seven. So it was a two-part series on fat loss, truths, and common mistakes. And then Ange came back a second time and we did episode 28 together, which was on the five most common fat loss mistakes mistakes that you're making. So Angie's made regular appearance on the podcast because she's just a powerhouse of knowledge. So I can't thank you again enough for coming on today and doing a third episode with us around period nutrition. Thank you so much. It's been my absolute pleasure. Thanks, Leanne.